Ephesians series. Have you been enjoying it? It's been so good. And so this morning, we're in chapter 3 of Ephesians. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open on up and follow along with me. I'm going to go right through the chapter with you all and pray that the Lord speaks to us all this morning. I love that we can have someone up here preaching the Word of God, opening up His Word. But it's something the Holy Spirit does between my lips, whoever's preaching, their lips, and your ears, where He takes what's being spoken And the very season you find yourself in, it's like he translates it in between my lips and your ears. And by the time it gets to your ears, it's the very thing that the Lord needs to speak to you in this season. And so I'm praying, Holy Spirit, you would do it again in this room today, in this service, and in next service, and for those that are joining us online as well. Amen? Amen. So we are in Ephesians chapter 3, and so what we know as chapter 3, right, when Paul was writing the letter to the church of Ephesus there, he didn't have chapters as we know it as, but we are in chapter 3 for us in the letter, and it's broken down into two different sections. The first portion of that chapter really talks about Paul speaking about this revelation that was given to him. The Lord has given this revelation, this mystery. So that's the first part of the chapter. And then the second part of the chapter is a prayer that Paul writes for the church of Ephesus, for the Ephesians there. But in the first verse alone, we see where Paul is at, not just in a physical sense, but also mentally and spiritually. Paul currently finds himself in prison But instead of saying he's a prisoner of Rome, he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. And so already there, we know where his perspective is. He knew that Jesus was Lord of his life, not the Roman government. What a perspective to be in a place that you don't want to be in, (laughs) right? But to be so sure that your days are directed by the Lord. I'm the Lord's. He's got me. Or maybe a more eloquent way of saying it, the psalmist says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Paul continues to go on in the verses there where now he explains this mystery that's revealed to him. And he tells how it was not only given to him. In verse 5 it says, revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. It was also given to Peter in Acts. And it's it's consistent with prophecies in the Old Testament. And Jesus actually even speaks about it right before his ascension. However, it seems that God used Paul to declare specifically how Jews and Gentiles would be joined together in one body of Christ. And this was something hinted at through others, but only specifically detailed through Paul's revelation. The mystery, verse 6, that believing Jews and believing Gentiles are joined together in one body of Christ, into one church, no longer separated before God. This is the mystery. Gentiles, us, hello somebody. Gentiles are now full partakers of his promise. This was a privilege no longer just reserved for the believing Jewish people. 
And this could only happen through the gospel where all men and all women have an equal standing in Jesus. So Paul continues to go on now to verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. To preach in the ancient Greek right there, that word preach, what it translates to mean is to announce good news. What Paul had to say was surely a good announcement that Gentiles could come before God in a standing that they had only once dreamed about. But what's indeed amazing is that God would use a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church to be the main minister of this mystery, the mystery of the work of the gospel and bringing Jew and Gentile together into one body. Paul would be the one that God would choose. He would be the one God would choose to bring about this message. God uses the most unlikely people in the most unlikely way. It's just what he does, amen? amen. <laughs> David, the shepherd boy who his daddy passes over, who's out in the field tending lion, tigers, and bears. Thank you. I knew someone would get that. <laughs> He's out in the field, right? His daddy passes him over, but yet he becomes the king. Or how about Esther? A Hebrew, an orphan, a girl who's then raised up by her uncle and she becomes queen and saves her people. Or Abraham's old and he becomes the father of many nations. Joseph, who was abused and abandoned. Moses, who had a speech problem. And Rahab, who was a prostitute. Or Peter, who denies Jesus three times. Here are people that society and the world and maybe even us would deem worthless and useless when it comes to being used by God in the capacity and the way that they were used, but God. His way of doing things, church, he uses unlikely people to be part of his great plan and his purpose to accomplish great things for his kingdom. Unlikely people just seems to be part of his plan and I'm glad because, because I'm one of them. An unlikely person that gets the privilege of being used by an incredible God. So Paul then, right, he talks about the mystery and then he moves on over to the second part of this letter. This portion of this chapter where we now step into the prayer that he writes for the church there. And he starts with unity in verse 15, from every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We're united under one name, under the name of Jesus, we are one. So he's bringing back that point, right, of Jews and Gentiles being united. And the remainder of the prayer reads like this, it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and deep and high is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I'm going to read a portion of that again where it says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people 
to grasp, to take a hold of. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Church, God's love is wide enough to include every person. And his love is long enough to last through all eternity. Jeremiah tells me, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And God's love is high enough to enough to take us to heaven. Ephesians tells us he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And his love, it's deep enough to reach the worst sinner. Our capacity to experience God's love will be exhausted long before God's capacity to give is ever strained. This is his love. And it's not us for us just to grasp his love, just for us to take a hold of his love. But Paul says to know this love, to experience this love. Paul wrote of something we can know. This isn't speculation or guesswork or emotions or feelings. It's something that we can know. We can take a hold of it and we can experience it all the days of our lives. And then it leads us to... The last two verses, can you believe it? The last two verses of this chapter here. These last two verses, verses 20 and 21, they're known as the glorious doxology. A fancy way of just saying an expression of praise to God. That's what it is. And we have to remember that as Paul is writing these words, he's in prison. And he has this outburst of praise. And I could imagine him riding by candlelight. And to his ankle is a chain that leads to a Roman guard. In studies, it shows that during the day, he probably roamed free under security, right? But at night, he was most likely chained to a Roman guard. And so I can just imagine him writing these words by candlelight and chained to some guard. And everything around him looks dark and and grim, but here Paul is writing about the power of God. It says, the verse starts off with now. Now. Not later when the chains fall off. Not later if and when I get out of prison. Not later when I'm breaking bread with my friends again. Not later when I'm on the mountaintop experiences of life. No, now. When things are still dark, when things still don't look so good, now when the situation's still bleak, now when the report is still bad, now when the prodigal's still out there, now when my marriage is still rocky, now when the finances don't look so good, now when whatever it is, now, the verse goes on to say, now to him who is able, now in this moment, to him who is able, not just back then able, not just able when Jesus walked the earth over 2,000 years ago. No, now he is able. In this moment, he is able. Because our God is continually able, no matter our trial, no matter our situation, our God is greater. See, it's while Paul is shackled in this Roman prison that he produces the letters of Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. And you know what this tells me? 
It tells me don't lose heart. It tells me don't lose heart. God is capable of producing fruit even in the midst of hard situations and trial. Nothing, nothing is wasted with him. He can use it all for his glory. In our trial, in our hard moments, church, we need to focus on who our God is. And I know it's easier said than done, but my God, what he can produce in you in your seasons that are hard, I see it with Paul's life. When the situation was dark, when the situation didn't look good, and we can see ahead of time because we're here reading about the New Testament, but my God, to know that he's able to do it. He is able to do it. But let me read the whole couple verses to you, right? So now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Exceedingly, abundantly, above. I love those three words. I remember when Pastor Chris and I first started dating. Uh, we started dating the last day of December, and he had come home from Australia, and um, we spent the time together, whatever, whatever. Then I went over back to college in Massachusetts, and he was here in New York with you all. And it was our first Valentine. And so we had all these exciting plans for him to come to Massachusetts, and we were going to hang out together. But we live in the East Coast, right? And what happens in the East in uh, February? It snows, right? So as Friday was getting closer and closer, we were watching the reports, and there was a snowstorm that was supposed to come. And lo and behold, Friday morning, I get the call from Christian. Hey, babe. So... <laughs> Yes, yeah, so the snowstorm came a bit early, and um, roads were closed. It didn't look good. And so unfortunately, he gave me the bad news that he wouldn't be able to come and be with me for our first Valentine. And so, you know, the good girlfriend I am, I'm like, it's okay, no big deal. Really crying inside. But, you know, I tried to downplay, and I'm like, you know what? This was the truth. I was like, you know what? I'm actually not feeling well, and it's better that you not come up this weekend. You'll make it up to me another time. It's fine. So I went about the day as best I could, walking around my campus, seeing all the other people in love, walking around, right? It's Valentine's Day weekend. And I went about my, the rest of my morning, and then later in the day, I receive a phone call from one of my friends who works in the main office of campus, and she's like, hey, so um, they delivered a package for you. It's a little too big for me to carry to the mailroom, so you need to come over here and pick it up yourself. And I'm like, girl, I'm sick. Like, I'm just going to stay in my room. I'll pick it up later. She's like, no, it looks perishable. Like, you got to come now. And I'm like, okay. So you know me, I start connecting dots, and I'm like, oh my goodness, could Christian be here? Maybe he's going to surprise me. And so I doll myself up a bit, and I'm walking from my dorm room over to uh, the main campus, the, the hall area. And as I'm walking there, I try to calm myself down. I don't want to get my hopes up too high, right? What if it's just a package? Like my mom would send me packages all the time with food, so I'm like, maybe mom sent me food, which is cool. Thanks, mom. And so... <laughs> I love it, really. Um, and so, you know, I'm just trying to, like, play it cool. Lo and behold, I get to the main office, and 
I look through the window and I see my sugar boo-boo. Christian is there, yes. He surprised me. So he had gone above, right? He got ahead of the snowstorm, made sure to get there ahead of time, meet me, surprise me, wonderful. He had gone above. Then we get to his car and we're sitting down. He's like, close your eyes, I got another surprise. Okay. Close my eyes and then all of a sudden in my hands is this beautiful gift and inside of it, because I was sick, was filled with all the things I would need to feel better. There was Vicks. Where are my Puerto Ricans at? We love our Vicks. And so, yes, so there was Vicks in there. There were the nice sensitive tissues that had the Vicks smell in it in there. There was medicine. There was my favorite candies. It was so thoughtful. I loved it all. And so not only had Christian gone above by showing up, right, but now he had gone abundantly above because now he gave me a very thoughtful gift. Very intentional, right? And so then he tells me, hey, I made reservations for us tonight, so go get ready, and we'll meet back, and um, we're going to go to the city, Boston. And I'm like, okay, this is exciting. Now we've got dinner reservations. I'm a college student, right, going out to dinner in the city. It's a big deal. And so we get in the car, and we're on our way to Boston, and all of a sudden I realize we're going towards the very bougie area of Boston. And I'm like, ooh, this is going to be good. We pull up in front of the restaurant. The restaurant is looks overlooks Boston and commons. For us New Yorkers, it overlooks our Central Park, right? And so I'm excited. I get in the restaurant, right? I sit down, and the menu's put in front of me, and I see that it is a seven-course meal that is about to be served. So not only had Christian gone above by showing up, not only had he gone abundantly above by giving me a gift, but now he has gone exceedingly abundantly above in what he had just offered me for my Valentine's Day weekend, right? Yes, he is a key vest, so I claimed him. Yes, yes. But guys, church, let me remind you this morning that our God doesn't just do above. He doesn't just do abundantly above. Our God does exceedingly, abundantly above. It's a measurement only a God who's greater than all things is even capable of measuring up to. Our God is God, the ruler over all. He has all power and he has all authority to meet that type of ability exceedingly, abundantly above. See, you can ask for every good thing you've ever experienced and God can do above that. You can think of or imagine great things beyond your experience and God can do above that. You can imagine good things that are beyond your ability to name. And God can do above that. See, what Christ does in us and through us will always be exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. One theologian had said, what I have asked for is as nothing compared to the ability of my God to give. I've asked for a cupful and the oceans remain. I've asked for a sunbeam and the sun abides. My best asking falls immeasurably short of my father's giving. It's beyond all that we can ask. See, our God's able, though, to take it to another level. It doesn't just stop at the asking. He takes it up another notch where now it's even above what we can think. He far exceeds 
I remember when Mia was born, we stayed in the hospital as long as we could because we didn't know what the heck we were doing. And the doctors finally were like, you need to go home, like take her home. And so we had all the gadgets and gizmos you could possibly think of to keep this child alive, right? We got the sound machine, swaddles, organic this, organic that, right? But there were three cues. She cried because she was hungry, she cried because she was cold, and she cried because she was tired. And I'm one of those mamas, when she cried, I met her need, I responded. I know you're supposed to let them cry it out, but I didn't, and that's where we are today. And so, so she cried and I would respond, right? And when she cried because she was cold, she was asking to be made warm. And what she didn't know is that mama wouldn't just give, meet her need and just make, make her warm. Instead, what I would do, it was I, was I would get the coziest, softest, organic swaddle and wrap her up like a little burrito. And then I would hold her in my arms, all while rocking her and kissing her and lulling her to sleep and finally placing her on a non-flammable, organic, <laughs> breathable mattress. See, all she asked for with her cries was just to be made warm, right? And that's all she thought she needed was some warmth. But what mama would give her would be above that. And dare I say at times, exceedingly abundantly above what she could think of. Why? Because I'm her mama and I love her. And what I could give her was better than what she could think of. But this is our God. What he gives us far surpasses what we could think of. See, Mia wasn't capable of thinking of the more because she hadn't experienced that type of more in her life before. Some of us can't fathom or imagine the more because it's just too far out of reach. For that addiction, for that marriage, for that breakthrough, for that prodigal. But let me tell you, our God is bigger than the box that we put him in at times. He's bigger, and what he can do is always greater than what we can imagine. We need to go back to his word, church. We need to go back to his word in times when we can't see and imagine the bigger than what we're in right now. And we need to see how he does things supernaturally. He does things that don't make sense, but it makes sense when he does it. I'm reminded of the three boys who stood strong in their faith and then are sent into a fiery furnace. But then they come out untouched. Not even the smell of smoke is on, the clo on their clothes. Why? For the glory of God. I'm reminded of a man named Saul who persecuted followers of Jesus. And then he gets converted and he becomes a follower of Jesus and his name gets changed to Paul and now he's the very one sharing the good news of how Jews and Gentiles can come together under one name, the name of Jesus. Why? Why? So that we can see the power of our God to redeem and how what the enemy meant for evil, our God would turn it around and use it for good, for the advancement of the kingdom. I'm reminded of our Jesus who hung on a cross, who bore our sin, our pain, our iniquities. Why? Why, church? 
so that we would no longer be separated from our Creator and we could live in eternity with Him. And even as we live on this side of eternity, we could be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out victorious lives by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why He did it. And you know the truth is, church, we wouldn't do it this way when we think about all these different situations. But His ways, His ways, I'm reminded in Isaiah where it says, for my, not, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Would you stand with me this morning? The last verse there, right? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us or according to his power that works in us the power in the Greek power there is translated dunamis power it's power and strength that doesn't depend on outward things it's the kind of power and strength that changes everything in an instant it's this power, it's not something he has, it's who he is. It's wonder-working power, and it's the type of power that's at work right now. Able to accomplish and move in ways beyond what we could ask or imagine. I've seen him do it. When I've asked him for restoration in my family, he's gone beyond. When I've asked him for provision, he's gone beyond. His ability to move and to act is not bound or limited by what's around us. He's not bound by the natural. He's not bound or limited by time or by space. He has all authority. He has all strength. And so what I'm here to tell you this morning is that as Paul sat in that prison, he knew who was in control. And in the midst of a trial, he writes about the power of our God. The power of our God that far exceeds what our limited minds could comprehend. See, Paul never fathomed or imagined that he would, could be used by God like this. But here he is testifying about it. And so my challenge this morning to you is, would you pray that hard prayer again? Would you pray that hard prayer again? Would you believe again? Would you step out in faith again? Would you take our Father for His Word, for what He says, when He says that He can do exceedingly abundantly above? Would you take Him at His Word? Because He's proven Himself faithful again and again and again. And let me tell you this, something this morning if you forgot it. Our God is a faithful God. And he's true to his word. He doesn't lie. He is true to his word. So I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what's before you. But what I can tell you, believe again. What I can tell you is our God is able. What I can tell you is he has all authority. What I can tell you is he does things maybe not the way we want it, but it's the way it needs to be done. And his way, church, his way, church, is greater and it's better and it makes sense. Maybe not right now to us in the natural. So this morning, 
Paul ends that last part of the chapter and he says, amen. <laughs> amen. So be it. It's a statement of agreement. And so this morning, I'm very, I know it's 10 o'clock now, but Pastor Chris and the team are going to lead us in worship. I'm going to pray for you. And I just want you to know the altars are open. And there are going to be people here, pastors and our prayer team and, and the deacons that want to say amen with you in the sense of we agree with you. We stand with you. So be it. Let it be done in Jesus' name. And so if you have something in your life that maybe even during this time the Lord was tugging very clearly on you, that you need to step out in faith and believe again, would you step out this morning and allow us to pray with you and stand in the gap for whatever it is that the Lord needs to do in your life. Because church, our job is just to step out and believe. He takes care of the rest. He takes care of the rest. So Lord, we love you this morning. And we thank you for your word that's true. We thank you for your word that's alive. We thank you for your word that's available to us today and now, Lord, that you're speaking, Father. And I pray, oh God, we will be people that respond, that as the Spirit is doing something in us, Father, that we wouldn't say, Lord, I'll talk to you on the way home. No, but Father, right now, we would sense an urgency to respond, that right now, that prodigal needs the prayer, right now, believing for the healing, right now, believing for the restoration of that marriage, right now, Father. So Lord, may an urgency rise up in us to believe again, to trust you, to take you at your word, oh God, because you are trustworthy, you are faithful, and you are one that you shall not lie. So Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for what your spirit is doing in this place. And Lord, we sing it out, oh God, of how we aren't enough, oh God, but you are, and you come and you move in ways beyond our expectations. So we trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone says, Amen and amen.